This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. And welcome back to Vancouver Consumer on this beautiful Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox. In just a few moments, we'll welcome back insolvency trustee Ilya Margolis from BDO First Call Debt Solutions to take your calls, talk about practical ways to get out of debt difficulties, and to de- how to deal with debt collectors. But first, here are some more of the top consumer stories we're following this week. The latest and 20th BC Tech Salary Survey is out, and once again looks at both the growth of jobs in here in the BC tech sector, as well as how people are compensated in those positions. And this year, the report says median salaries for tech workers here in Vancouver are now higher than those in both Toronto and Montreal. It found that Vancouver had some of the highest paying rates in the country for in-demand tech jobs, especially when it comes to research and development and software salaries. The report recorded a steep increase in BC tech salaries this year, with a median increase of 3.7%. That percentage jumped when it came to both entry-level staff and specialists, 5.1% and 4.7%, respectively. The hottest industry, digital media and gaming. Salaries there up 6.6% year over year. We had this conversation right here recently with Chris Hobbs, president of TTT Studios in Vancouver. And Chris talked to us about people he's looking to hire, engineers always in demand. Well, this new survey shows backs Chris up from an entry-level perspective in engineering. BC companies are paying recent engineering grads 8.5% higher than the national average. The 2019 BC Tech Salary Survey reports salary and incentive data from 135 companies and over 20,000 individual employees. The bottom line? Apparently, Vancouver is the place to be. DoorDash says 4.9 million users, merchants, and dashers were affected by a security breach that occurred earlier this month. The food delivery app says an unauthorized third party accessed some DoorDash user data back in May on the 4th, which resulted in almost 5 million app users' information being left vulnerable. DoorDash just told us about the hack on Thursday, though, and listed the kind of information that could have been accessed, and that included names, addresses, emails, phone numbers, and in some cases, even driver's license numbers. Also hacked, partial bits of bank account and credit card information, but the DoorDash people say there wasn't enough of that type of information to allow the hackers to get out and make big purchases or big cash withdrawals. DoorDash has emailed affected customers and says it's changing its security procedures, bringing in extra outside help, and setting up a dedicated call line, which you can find on the DoorDash website. Hockey fans, how many times have you heard this in late September? It's different this year. We're finally going somewhere, eh? And on and on it goes. Well, apparently, this year is different for Vancouver Canucks and their fans, especially. Ticket sales on StubHub for Canucks home games are up 
82%, which is the largest growth among all teams in Canada. The Canucks are now the third most in-demand team in Canada, right behind the Leafs and Canadians. So far, the hottest ticket for the Canucks season ahead, February 12th. The Chicago Blackhawks will be here that night, but the big event is happening when the Canucks will raise numbers 22 and 33. The Sedin's numbers will be raised to the rafters of Rogers Arena. The hottest ticket overall anywhere in the NHL for the third straight year, Las Vegas, followed by the Rangers of New York and the Boston Bruins. Welcome back to the program. It's the last weekend of September 2019. I'm Sterling Fox. Nice to be with you today. Ilya Margulis is back with us. Mr. Margulis is a senior manager and licensed insolvency trustee with BDO First Call Debt Solutions here in Vancouver. Ilya, good afternoon. Welcome back. Great to have you with us. Glad to be back, Sterling. Thank you. Uh, Just before we get down to debt collectors and all the rest of the stuff we were going to talk about this afternoon, the last time you and I saw each other was a few months ago. And as I recall, Mr. Margolis, you at that time were planning a wedding, your own. Has that happened yet? I know. It's coming up soon, just about a month away. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So busy times in your life. Let's talk a little bit. I want to talk about debt collectors because as more and more of a struggle with debt, and there are certainly abundant numbers to show that is happening, Ilya, uh, debt collectors become a factor in all of this. But before we get into that part of the conversation, tell us a little bit about BDO. Remind us as who you are, BDO First Call Debt Solutions. BDO First Call Debt Solutions is one of Canada's largest and longest serving debt solutions firms. We actually have offices across the country in small communities and in large cities. Uh, I help uh, people here in the Lower Mainland along with my team. And at BDO, we're proud to say we help thousands of Canadians every year leave their debt behind. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know and completely understand that debt can be stressful and emotional especially because overwhelming debt is often the result of challenging life experiences like illnesses, job loss, or marital separation. Uh, When someone contacts us for help, we arrange a completely confidential, no-obligation consultation to help them explore the options that are available for them, whether it's with us or elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And we completely recognize that making that first call isn't easy, But we're here to listen and help people find the debt solutions that are best suited to their financial situation with no judgment. Yeah. Why why do you think it is? uh, We all have our theories, and you and I have talked about this on the radio before, Ilya, but why do you think it is that that first call is so darn difficult to make for so many people? A lot of people really do just feel guilty about the debt that they've built up, and they feel that, you know, if they walk into a professional's office, that professional is going to judge them for that. And they're going to think that maybe, I don't know, they're the worst person in the world. The reality is, that's just not going to happen. Uh, We at BDO have seen every kind of situation that's out there. um, And we're here to help and not judge in any way. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, is very important, a very important part of the message to get out there. It's a non-judgmental. You are a professional, as you just described yourself, uh, and you're not not an officer of the court. (laughs) You're you're a debt consultant. You're an insolvency trustee here to help people, not sentence them or scold them for mismanagement, right? Well, now, as trustees, we are officers of the court. But again, that doesn't mean that we are there to scold somebody. We're there to help 
everybody come out to the best possible solution. That's true. And I suppose uh, technically you are officers of the court. And also, there aren't very many of you. In Canada, as I understand it, Ilya, there are fewer than 1,200 of you insolvency trustees coast to coast. That's right. And that includes everybody that practices both on the sort of consumer side and the corporate side. So if we just separate out the consumer side, that's a much smaller number as well. Indeed. Let's talk a little bit about dealing with debt collectors, Mr. Margolis. Statistics showing more and more people are struggling to manage their debt, and we can talk about that literally for the balance of the hour, the surveys, the polling, the findings, uh, the whole business about uh, uh, 200 bucks away from a crisis in, in a lot of people's lives. Many households continuing to live paycheck to paycheck. Delinquencies are on the rise. We're seeing an increase in the number of insolvency filings, and when you see these statistics, there's no doubt many of these people are dealing with or have dealt with or eventually will deal with debt collectors so this is when it gets it can get ugly real fast struggling to manage debt is stressful enough we just talked about the stress factor that when you come to when you finally have to come to terms with the fact that you are in some kind of debt quicksand and you've really got to get out of it having debt collectors constantly contacting you doesn't exactly reduce the stress in your life Ilya what are you hearing from your clients these days well first of all we know that insolvencies are going up yeah uh, in the first quarter of uh, 2019 in BC insolvencies went up by over 11 percent so that's a pretty significant change sure is yeah and we household budgets are really tight and many people, as you said, are continuing to live paycheck to paycheck. Uh, the last stat that I saw on that was about over half. Um, and then things happen. A car breaks down, your roof leaks, uh, an illness happens, uh, separation, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And those debt issues snowball. Uh, but the thing to keep in mind is avoidance isn't uh, the solution. Uh, it's what I call sort of the ostrich game. If I ignore the debt, maybe it will go away if I bury my head in the sand. But the reality is it's not going to. And, uh, you know, if you contact a lender, whether it's a credit card company or a financial institution, and explain your situation, they're often willing to work with you. But when the bank or creditor uh, that gave you the loan isn't receiving payment and they haven't heard from you, they'll uh, enlist the help of a debt collection agency. Sure, sure. But let's let's talk about that because what's what's the margin, Ilya? Now, you talked about, uh, and it's interesting, the ostrich approach, and it does happen. You hear stories. You're the professional in this conversation, and I'm sure people will tell you uh, on many occasions, well, you know, these letters start coming through the mail slot, and frankly, I just put them right into recycling. I don't open them. I know what they say. I don't want to see any more messaging like that. And every time you, you discard a letter like that, you eliminate a chance to make some kind of contact with that lender before they sick the dogs on you. Exactly. So there's an important distinction. Uh, There's debt collectors and then there's collection agencies. Uh, Debt collector is a person who's calling to collect on a debt. Often that person is still an employee of the bank or of the uh, creditor. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's the collection agency. A collection agency is usually a third party uh, that's been retained by the bank to collect on their behalf. And sometimes they've sold that debt onto that collection agency. And the big difference there is that collection agent or that collection agency only makes up mo- makes money if they collect. Right. So they're very incentivized to um, chase you, essentially. Right. 
and, and and so I suppose what we need to find out is, a before we get to how to uh, how to get all of this aggression out of your life period, let's talk about what they can and can't say. Because frankly, sometimes it, it, it feels like, and you hear experiences, I'm sure people tell you, uh, some of those calls, some of those threatening letters, etc., appear and feel like they're crossing a line. So where's the line, Ilya? Exactly. So the very first contact with the debt collector is always going to be a letter say, saying that you're now in collections and requesting that you pay off that debt. After that, the calls will start. Um, and the important thing to note that if you don't pay, uh, it is possible that they could take legal action, and that could include garnishing wages. Yeah. And that's where they get a court order that allows them to take money straight off of the top of your paycheck from your employer. And that's really sort of the worst-case scenario. And Ilya, can all of that garnishy business happen actually without your knowing about it because you've decided to ignore, you've decided not to open those threatening letters or reminders, uh, you've decided, no, I'm just going to not pay any attention to that and just come what may. Can, can a company, can a lender, a creditor garnishy your wages without you even knowing about it? You get a paycheck and all of a sudden, wait a second, that's not what I usually get paid. You go to your payroll department, oh, well, there's a garnishy on your file. Can that happen? It can. So you, they are required to send notices throughout that entire process. But if you're ignoring them, your first notification, that's going to be your employer uh, sending you an email or giving you a call saying, oh, by the way, your next paycheck is going to be lower. Right. Uh, now, when it comes to dealing with those collection agents, though, uh, there are things, as you said, that they can do and things that they can't do. Debt collectors can phone you. However, there are rules about how and when they can call you. They can only call between 7 a.m. and 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and between 1 p.m. and 5 p.m. on Sundays. And they can't contact you on holidays. Uh, Debt collectors can call your friends and family, but they can only do this in order to get your address, phone number, or email if they are unable to reach you. And they can call your workplace. They can make one attempt to contact you at work to collect a debt, but only if they've been unable to make contact elsewhere. And they can contact your employer, but only to get your employment information and cannot tell the employer anything about the debt. Interesting. So we'll go back. I'm going back a couple of items. You mentioned debt collectors can call your friends and family, but ostensibly, Ilya, only to do this in, in order to find out how to get in touch with you. So have, have you heard of or examples of people calling family or friends of an indebted person and trying to negotiate some kind of payment arrangement through them, a third party? Uh- I'm sure it happens. They're not allowed to do that. Right, of course. Uh, So certainly debt collection agencies out there will scour your Facebook potentially Mm -hmm. and find out who your friends and family are and then try to reach those people to get in touch with you. Uh, Now, if they're actually disclosing information about your debt, uh, without your permission, that is, uh, then there are avenues you can file a complaint with Consumer Protection BC uh, because they are violating the rules. So things that they cannot do... Let's go through that. Okay. A debt collector cannot discuss the details of your debt with someone else unless they have your permission. Okay. They cannot collect more than than what is owing on that debt aside from interest that was in your original agreement. Um, They can't exert undue, excessive, or unreasonable pressure to collect the debt. So that's one that's 
very much a question mark because where is that line? Right, uh, and that, um, and that's where you get to, that's where the 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 phone calls. Uh, that's where you get into that gray area with some of those uh, nasty phone calls, right? Exactly. Okay. And then they cannot threaten to publish uh, or publish your failure to pay, except to the credit reporting agency, so Equifax and TransUnion. Oh, I and see. If they're failing to follow these rules, then you can most certainly file a complaint with Consumer Protection BC, and uh, they are supposed to follow up with it and find those collection agents. Now, do you know, just from experience, you're the pro, you've been at this a while, do do they have our backs? Does Consumer Protection BC actually do something when people complain and and there's, for example, extraordinary harassment going on? Have you examples of people who said, you know, I I called the government, I had to, they were driving me crazy. Uh, well, that's their role. Uh, in terms of uh, how far they'll go to enforce uh, uh, a fine or something like that, right, right. I guess it depends on where that collection agent is actually located and whether or not they're able to reach uh, that collection agent and uh, explain to them the rules that they're violating. Uh, so that's the role that they're supposed to play. Uh, and sometimes I'm sure it works and sometimes it might not. Okay, so and exactly. So this is this is a really important conversation to have because, uh, for example, I don't know. And again, you can help us with this. I don't know how many people listening, Ilya, have an idea that there are very fast and fixed rules with respect to behavior uh, that apply to debt collectors and to collection agencies, uh, and they have to operate within those rules. I don't imagine everyone listening is even aware of those rules exist. Exactly. And the reality is a lot of people panic when they get those collection calls. Sure. And they go into sort of full-on defense mode. But we've got some basic tips in order to make the process as painless as possible. Uh, so anytime you're getting a call from a debt collector, uh, the first thing you want to do is write everything down. The date and time of the call, the name of the collection agency, and the name of the contacts within that agency. And that's really important. And uh, are, are these people required, again, to present all that information when, they, uh, when the phone call occurs? Yes, they are. Okay. And uh, the name of the company the debt collector is collecting for? Oh, okay. I'm Who from. The bank is. Uh, okay, right. Uh, I, I'm from ABC Debt Collections, and I'm here to uh, go after your Royal Bank uh, loan that you re- remains unpaid. That kind of. They have to say that. Exactly, and then the details of the debt, such as the amount you owe, who you owe it to, and when you started owing it. And one of the things to note here is, if it's a debt you don't recognize, don't acknowledge that the debt might be yours. Ask for details of it in writing. Ah, okay. Uh, and then we cross over. I've got to take a break for the news here, but we, then we cross over from uh, harassment by debt collectors into a whole other ballgame, Ilya, the scammers, who also are quite happy to take advantage of people in distress. Lots more ahead with Ilya Margolis, insolvency trustee with BDO First Call Debt Solutions here on Vancouver Consumer after the news. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. A few clouds around Metro Vancouver, but a beautiful Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox. Joining me is Ilya Margulis. Mr. Margulis is a senior manager and licensed insolvency trustee with BDO First Call Debt Solutions here in Vancouver. DebtSolutions.bdo.ca is their excellent website, by the way. Uh, Ilya, just before we uh, took the news break, we talked about what uh, debt collectors can and can't do. We talked about the rules these people 
people operate under in BC. And then you started to tell us what we, the consumer, can do when these people start to call. And as I recall, one of the the, the uh, bits of advice that you passed along to start that conversation before we had to interrupt you was making sure that when these calls start coming in, you write information down, day and time, name of the person calling, name of the agency they represent, and name of the company they're calling on behalf of to co- to collect for. Is that right? That's right. And um, and then, of course, you also, because then I talked about scammers, because they're not beyond taking advantage of people in distress. So you had a security item that you threw in at the end about the debt amount. Talk to us a little bit about that, a very important little security item, and then we'll move on. Oh, it, it's more so just making sure that you're not acknowledging a debt that may or may not be yours. Exactly. Uh, it may not be a scam. It may be that you might just have a similar name to somebody else and they've completely reached out to the wrong person. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to take responsibility for it if it's not you. So you, in that scenario, you're asking for the information in writing for the statements, and then you can look at it. And uh, if it is yours, you can deal with it. Okay. So that, that's, and that's good advice. And it's not necessarily just about scammers, but you have to be aware. You have to be kind of phone secure these days, don't you? Exactly. So then the other thing to keep in mind is as hard as it may be, don't be intimidated by these people. Even if they're threatening legal action, there's no such thing as debtor jail in Canada. I've lost count of the number of times people have asked me, oh my God, am I going to get arrested? Well, no, there's no such thing. There's no debtor jail in Canada unless you've committed some kind of serious fraud. Uh, right, exactly. Not going to jail. That's right. The days, uh, the days of Charles Dickens are long gone. Their debtors' prisons do no longer exist. Uh, depending on the amount of the debt, chances are they won't even pursue that legal action because it makes no sense for them to spend money on lawyers. Sure. However, if the debt is substantial and you are working with the original creditor or a law firm representing them, uh, they may pursue legal action. And that's when the wage garnishments and things like that kick in. Okay, right. Uh, and another thing that you mentioned, uh, and I'd, I'd like you to just flesh it out for a second. If you decide that you're going to deal with this, okay, it's gotten past the bank or whoever your lender is, and now they've farmed your file out to some collection agency, and, and you decide, uh-oh, well, I'm really in it for it now, so I'd better get at this and, and, and deal with them before it gets worse but once and and so you're trying to salvage your credit score but i think it's important to understand Ilya. once your file your your debt file gets passed along to that collection agency regardless of what you do afterwards your credit score has already taken a hit right it has it's going to be impacted in some way shape or form uh now it's not always that that collection agency has reported it to the credit reporting agency right away right it may take a little while for them to do that. So if there is a deal made prior to them having made that report, maybe your credit score hasn't taken that hit yet. Uh, but when you're dealing with these collection agents, there's a few options that you've got. One is uh, if you do need the phone calls to stop, you can send a registered letter requesting no further phone calls and that they deal with you in writing only. And there is a basically a form letter that you can download uh, from the Consumer Protection BC website, and you send that off to them by registered mail, and phone calls should stop. Okay. Now, if you are negotiating with them, don't be pressured into making a promise you can't keep. Only offer a payment plan that you can realistically afford, 
because if you default on your repayment plan, you may jeopardize the settlement agreement and the phone calls will begin again and you're basically back to square one. Ah, okay. So again, uh, you're, you're talking about the individual attempting to do the kind of work a debt insolvency trustee professional like yourself does. So let's carry on and, and assume that the individual has courage and a solution. And they say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to offer you uh, uh, X percent on the dollar for my outstanding amount. Mm-hmm. Now, you can offer a lump sum settlement for less than the full amount owed. Yeah. However, before you send them any money, you have to get a letter uh, of settlement in writing uh, basically saying how much you will pay, when you will pay it, and that once you make that final payment, you are fully absolved of any debt. So the debt's gone. And that's so very important because we hear this all the time. Somebody will send one of these collection agents money based on a verbal agreement thinking that they're done, and then they call start all over again, and suddenly this collection agent has no record of such an agreement. Uh, so having it in writing is vital. Of course, now this, uh, and this all makes perfect sense, but again, in a lot of cases, Ilya, you're dealing with people who have avoided any kind of contact, written or otherwise, with their creditors for quite some time. So in a lot of cases, this simply doesn't apply because people aren't, aren't interested in renewing contract. They've already feel that it, they're beyond that. Yeah, well, now, one of the benefits of doing it at that stage informally is sometimes these collection agencies will literally settle for pennies on the dollar. Okay. Uh, now, if you do settle with them, uh, the other thing to keep in mind is never send cash uh, because you do want to have that paper trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, I would encourage anybody listening who is feeling the pressure of persistent phone calls from debt collectors or collection agencies and can't reach an agreement or doesn't want to reach an agreement directly with them, uh, to get help from a debt professional as soon as possible. Yes. A licensed insolvency trustee like myself will listen to the situation and explain the various debt solutions available so you can choose the option that works best for you. Uh, it might be a consumer proposal. It might be a bankruptcy. Uh, some people might be reacti- re- reluctant to reach out to a debt professional because uh, they believe that uh, if they settle on their own with a debt collection agency, it won't impact their credit profile. Uh, as we talked about before, yeah. but usually that isn't the case. And once a credit uh, collection agency has reported it, your score is down, and there's no way to quickly uh, rebuild that. Interesting. So you talked about a couple of remedies. One was filing a bankruptcy, and the other was something called a consumer proposal. And I'll bet you a lot of people who come to you and your colleagues at BDO First Call Debt Solutions, Ilya, are convinced they are so far behind the eight ball, the only option available to them is bankruptcy. And I'll bet you more than a few of them are surprised to discover, no, it's not the only option at all. With a lot of consultations that I do, uh, I sit down and ask the person, all right, well, what can we help you with? And the answer that often comes up is, well, I'm here to file bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where we start asking a lot of questions. Because in a lot of cases, uh, bankruptcy really is the option of last resort. And a consumer proposal, which is essentially a settlement with the creditors, is a better option for people. Uh, and I'll quickly explain what both of these are. Okay. Uh, in a bankruptcy uh, a few things happen. Certain things that you own do transfer to the trustee for the benefit of the creditors. 
now. The majority of the assets that the average person owns are actually protected from seizure. So things like a car with equity up to $5,000, and very few people have more than $5,000 worth of equity in their car. Mm-hmm. Uh, equity in a home of up to $12,000. RSVs contributed over a year ago. Pension plans, furnishings. Those are all things that are protected from seizure. Uh, so if someone's filing a bankruptcy, no one's taking those away. Uh, and then there's a calculation that's done uh, depending on household income and household size uh, that determines how much actually has to be paid during the course of a bankruptcy based on income. Okay. Uh, a proposal is sitting down and saying, you know what, I'd really like to avoid filing a bankruptcy. So I'm going to make my creditors an offer where they will receive a better deal than what they would have received from a bankruptcy. But the big uh, difference is you're making that offer over a period of up to five years, so that makes the payments very manageable. Right, okay. And the key is it's a better deal based on your situation on day one of filing. So if you file a bankruptcy and suddenly you get a raise or you win the lottery, you will end up having to pay a lot more than what might have been calculated in that initial uh, calculation. Uh, in a proposal, once the creditors have voted to accept it, it's locked in. So you know the exact amount of money you'll be paying. Uh, the second benefit to a proposal is that you have the right to prepay at any time. Uh-huh. So you don't have to take all five years to pay it off. And a proposal will only remain on your credit history for three years from whenever you're done paying the proposal. Okay, see, the that, bankruptcy yeah, that's what I was going to ask years. about. Right. Okay, so there is a difference in terms of impact on your credit record and your credit score, one route versus the other then. That's right. So the, so, the, the consumer proposal being the lesser of the two in terms of impact. It, it's potentially a much shorter impact, and uh, you're able to start rebuilding credit much quicker uh, than you would have been in a bankruptcy. Basically, you do, you do have to wait to be released from a bankruptcy before you start building up new credit. Oh, okay. Uh, whereas in a proposal, uh, about six months into the process, you can start taking steps to start building up positive history again. What's the difference between a consumer proposal and a debt settlement as opposed to a bankruptcy? Or is there a difference? Uh, so there are various kinds of uh, debt consultants out there. Uh, there are licensed insolvency trustees, of which I am one, mm-hmm. and then there's just debt consultants. Debt consultants can come up with a plan for you to pay all or a portion of your debt over a set period of time to your creditors, but it's not a formal settlement, which means it's not binding on the creditors. Uh, so if any creditors choose not to participate, uh, they... There's nothing to force them to. So you oh, okay. might have had a settlement with one or two, and then you've got numbers three and four still chasing you, which sort of defeats the entire point. Uh-huh. Uh, and from another perspective, in most cases, uh, informal debt settlements are not regulated in any way. So you uh, would be paying funds into a consultant's office, but you don't necessarily know how that money is being used, where it's being stored, uh, and... 
when and how it's going to be distributed to your creditors. You know, we talked about scammers a few minutes ago for an entirely different reason. But, you know, there are less than scrupulous people on the Internet who offer themselves as debt um, uh, counselors or whatever. Uh, And some of them, Ilya, are considerably less reputable than others. That's right. Um, And it's important to remember that trustees are very regulated by the superintendent of bankruptcy, which right. is the Department of the Government. Uh, they do come in uh, to trustees' offices and review our books, review our files, make sure everything's being done according to uh, the letter of the law, essentially. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you, you mentioned, uh, and, and, and rightfully so, you corrected me, because in fact you are an officer of the court in your official capacity, because the agreements that you create between lenders and creditors are legally binding. What happens if you successfully negotiate a consumer proposal and you're on your way to finally digging yourself out of that enormous hole you've been in living in for the last few years and something bad happens and you can't keep up the payments? Then what? Uh, well, the first thing you want to do in that kind of situation is call the trustee and talk and see if there is a solution possible. Okay. Uh, there is some leeway in terms of the payments that are being made that they can be missed while you get back on your feet. Uh, a proposal will only default if three months worth of payments are missed. Okay. Uh, so there is a little bit of leeway there to get back and caught up. Uh, now, in some cases, an amended consumer proposal can be filed. Okay. Uh, saying, you know what, my situation has changed. Uh, creditors do need to vote on it and accept it again. Uh, but it is a possible avenue. And worst case scenario, somebody might make the decision saying, well, you know what, I agreed to this settlement plan. Um, I thought it would be a better option for me than bankruptcy, but now the situation has changed, and I'm going to choose to file a bankruptcy. Oh, okay. Interesting stuff. Uh, Almost out of time here. Uh, Amazing how fast it goes when you and I start talking about this. A lot of people listening very carefully. Any final uh, words of advice this afternoon, Ilya? Uh, We know that stress is real, Uh and it can affect your financial and emotional health. Uh, When you're receiving constant phone calls from collection agencies and debt collectors, it adds even more stress to an already stressful situation. Sure does. And uh, for listeners out there who can relate to what we discussed here today, I encourage you to seek professional advice. It's important to know that there are solutions that can help you resolve your debt and put an end to those phone calls. Uh, You can go to our website at debtsolutions.bdo.ca and set up a confidential, no-obligation appointment. A licensed insolvency trustee like myself will listen to your situation and explain the various solutions that are available to you so that you can choose the right solution for your situation. At BDO, we help you leave your debt behind. And once again, our thanks to insolvency trustee Ilya Margolis from BDO First Call Debt Solutions for another very helpful visit. Next week, we'll learn more about Forex from our friends in London at Branton Wealth. And John Carlson will be back with another look at Metro Vancouver real estate. Time now for Duly Noted. And this time, our producer Ben Dooley has a look at changes to room booking rules at Vancouver Public Library. Thanks, Sterling. The Vancouver Public Library Board has approved a revised policy for people or groups who wish to book its rooms and facilities. The policy states the VPL will not block speakers 
even those deemed offensive or harmful, so long as they do not violate the Criminal Code of Canada or BC Human Rights Code. Here's Chief Librarian Crystal de Castillo. So we'll deal with each of the decisions for rentals on a case-by-case basis. The decision will be made based on whether someone has a history of violations of the Criminal Code or the BC Human Rights Code. The move comes in the wake of a speaking engagement by controversial feminist Megan Murphy in January. Murphy, the founder of online publication Feminist Current, has been banned from Twitter and argues that people who are born biologically male cannot transition to become women. The event drew condemnation and protests from LGBTQ groups who called it hate speech towards trans people and resulted in the Vancouver Pride Society banning the VPL from the 2019 Pride Parade. Murphy denies that her ideas are an attack on trans people arguing critics were trying to intimidate her from having a discussion about difficult ideas. Under the VPL's new policy, the library acknowledges that its facilities may be used by people who express ideas that may be contrary to the library's vision and values. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thank you, Ben. Word from our good friend Mario Conseco and his team at Research Company has just released a new poll about unsolicited phone calls and texts, especially now with the election underway. It seems this is a more common occurrence than most of us want to deal with. The posters, pollsters rather, asked how how many of these unsolicited messages we've received in the last couple of months? At our house, we average three a day. More than a third, 37% of people asked said, yeah, we've had at least one. Demographics do come into play. More men than women say they've had an unwanted message. Also, younger people aged 18 to 34, much more likely to be the targets of these messages than those in either the 35 to 54 or 55 plus categories. And 31% of us have received unsolicited solicited messages in Cantonese, Mandarin, or another language we don't speak, especially here in Metro Vancouver. On the survey, only 27% of all people asked said they'd never had any intrusive, unsolicited messages, either phone calls or texts. And here's a weird stat. Even though 73% of us know about the Anti-Fraud Center and how to report to it, only 37% of us ever have. And most of those who do complain are younger people who are the most targeted. Don't be shy. Report the calls. If you're a North Shore hiker, you should know the Lynn Canyon suspension bridge is going to be closed for a couple of months starting Monday time to fix the deck, says the district. The bridge deck was last replaced in 07. The new one expected to be installed by late November. In the meantime, you're going to have to do some walking to either Pipeline Bridge to the north or Twin Falls Bridge to the south. And if you're still out for hiking on the North Shore, it's going to be a little longer hike than you had planned, perhaps. That is our show for this afternoon, produced by Ben Dew. Andrew Ferreira back from vacation at the controls. We will see you right here on CKNW next Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock for another edition of Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.